0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Happy Super Bowl morning. Does anybody even care about that game? Okay, in unison, everyone says absolutely not. Nobody cares. I mean, that is just so disturbing. I told Dan all week, and I'm like, just ruins the whole weekend. I mean, who cares? I don't even remember there's a game. So anyway, I'm going to try to move on. We're going to focus on the Lord. Uh, Today, we're looking at the Lord's providence, and I absolutely am not, I am not going to go into, as a way of illustration, the Lord's providence in that play, in the Saints game. I thought about it. I said, I would definitely have everybody's attention, but it would totally be a distractor. We're not going there, Claude, so so we're not going there. But uh, as we look at the text today, we see we are are entering into the idea of, of God's providence. So let me ask you a question. Uh, who brought you to church today? Oh, that's a great Sunday school answer, Joe. That's right. But who else, who else brought you to the church today? My mom and my dad. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you something. The fact that the Lord, that, that mom and dad brought you to church today, does that mean the Lord didn't bring you to church today? No, oh, it doesn't mean that. And so therein lies the dilemma of understanding God's providence. Uh, God is absolutely providential working in every aspect of our life, and, and as we learn to grapple or learn to understand that, it's, it, it's hard to grasp because we also know that we can explain things in natural terms. Uh, I made the decision to set my alarm. I got up. I got dressed. I drove to church, so I brought myself to church today. In one sense, that obviously is absolutely true. But in another sense, we see in the scriptures that uh, things like this. It says uh, in Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move. In Proverbs 20, 24, a man's steps are ordered by the Lord. In Jeremiah 10, 23, Jeremiah says, I know, Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. In Ephesians 1, 11, big broad statement, God accomplishes all things all things according to the counsel of his will. And so therein lies this rub between our own very real actions and decisions and God providentially accomplishing all things according to his will. Let me ask you something. If a scientist puts together all the elements in the lab that are necessary to cause rain, which they can do in the lab, right? They can create the atmospheric Conditions necessary for, for rain or for condensation to happen, right? Who caused it to rain? Was it the natural causes, or was it the scientist? Well, I don't know about that, brother. We've got to go home and talk about that one for a long time. That's good. Mom's like, OK, that's enough interval interaction. It's good, It's good. I like it. So the idea is, uh, there are natural uh, atmospheric elements that we as scientists observe but the scripture says that God is providentially sustaining all things that we can even observe them. And so the fact that we can observe them does not negate the fact that God is causing it to rain. The scriptures all over the place says that God causes the rain, God causes it to snow. And so we want to grapple with this. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, says some things about it. He says that God cooperates with created things in every action. That word cooperate is trying to address the idea that both are involved. God directs and works through the distinctive properties of each creative thing. So he works in and through the distinctive properties of every created thing so that these things themselves bring about the results that we see. Listen to this statement. He says, God causes all things that happen, but he does so in such a way that somehow upholds our ability to make willing, responsible choices, choices that have real and eternal results, and for which we are held accountable. Now, exactly how, Grudem goes on to say, exactly how God combines his providential control with our willing and significant choices, Scripture doesn't explain it to us. But rather than deny one or the other, simply because we cannot explain how both can be true, rather than to explain one away, we should accept both in an attempt to be faithful to the teaching of all Scripture. So both are true. I have grappled with this for many years in my life as I began to grasp the fact that a sovereign God is providentially working out His plans and purposes in every detail of my life Man, did I resist. I mean, my first response was, then why in the world pray? I mean, if God is sovereign, why in the world do I need to pray anyway? I mean, what am I, just a puppet? And I mean, I resisted. And so, but then I began to learn over time, why would I want to pray to a God who's not sovereign? Yeah, what good would it do to pray that I don't know if he can do anything about it. I don't really know if he can answer this prayer. But, there became a, as I matured in my faith, I, I learned to take comfort and embrace the providence of God, even though I couldn't fully explain all the details. And that's what I pray uh, begins to take place. I really think that's a big part of our maturing process in our faith. I think one of the most transformative truths is what we're talking about today. I think when you start, when we start to see. God providentially working in and through everything without negating our real responsible choices, you drove yourself here, but at the same time I can say, God brought you here this morning. The more we understand that, the more we are able to rest, to take comfort, to bring glory to God. It is a glorious truth to embrace. So as we look at, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph over the next many weeks ahead. This is the prominent issue that is being brought up. In Genesis, we're getting to know our God, and we're getting to know all these massive truths. Well, here in the next several weeks ahead, we're going to start to grapple with various aspects of God's providential working in and through all things. So, Lord, we ask you this morning as we open your scriptures, would you, would you teach us uh, to embrace that you are working all things according to the counsel of your good, perfect will. But you are a good, good God that we can trust you. You are working things out for our good and for your glory. Help us to embrace this truth that we may glorify you in all things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 24. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. This is where Isaac is searching for his wife. And when we're looking for a wife, boy, don't we want to know the secret providential plan of God? And so we get to go on a journey with, uh, actually it's not Isaac, actually most of the journey is Abraham's servant. And uh, throughout this long narrative, we're going to see the author pulls the curtains back on the play. You know, there's a play going on, there's a director, there's all this. Well, the author pulls back the curtains and lets us have those unique insights into, oh, seeing how God is behind all of this. And see, that's the beauty of the scriptures. If it weren't for the scriptures revealing these things to us, we wouldn't know. We would think of karma or coincidence or luck. And let me tell you, that's all hogwash. That's not, that doesn't exist. And so what we see is the author writes this narrative in such a way that we as readers know more than the characters in the story. We're told right up front before the story, a part that we're not reading today. Genesis chapter 22 tells us, Rebecca marries Isaac. Rebecca is from the family of Abraham. And then the story is told. And we're going to see every step of the way as we look at the servant. And then we're going to look at Laban, who is... Her brother, and then we're going to look at Isaac, and we're going to basically see how knowing God's providential involvement how it impacts the story. How does knowing that God is providentially involved in every detail of your life, of your choosing a spouse, of your business deals, of your classroom, of your studying, of the choices you make, somehow, mysteriously many times, God is providentially involved in that and it's going to drastically impact your life as you learn to embrace that truth revealed in Scripture. So we're shifting from Abraham To Isaac, remember we saw last week Abraham and that painful story of being called to sacrifice his son. And praise God, it was only a test. And we saw he was proven faithful. In chapter twenty three, Sarah dies, and now in chapter twenty four, Abraham knows my God has said God has His plan that my family is supposed to be in this promised land. And they are going to be a numerous seed. And so he says, well, I need to find a wife for Isaac who is from my family. So the seed is not mixed with the Hittites that live in the land of Canaan. And so he's going to send his servant back to a foreign land. And he's going to say, find a wife from my family for Isaac and then come back. And so let's look as we begin to read the narrative. We're going to first look at the servant in the story, Genesis 4 verse 24 verse 1 now abraham was old well advanced in years and the lord had blessed abraham in all things like he promised he would and abraham said to his servant the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he had put your hand under my thigh obviously this is a cultural thing what is he doing put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my homeland, my country and my kindred, my kinfolk, and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, what's the scene here? Let's put ourselves in Isaac, uh, excuse me, in the servant's sandals. This is just a boss calling the employee in, hey, I got a job for you to do. Other than the weird stuff about put your hand under my thigh. But he's saying, listen, I got a job for you to do. And he tells him, go find a wife for my, for my son. Now you're like, okay, why does my boss make me do his personal business? But okay, the idea is this is a very ordinary task. This is not supernatural. It's very plain, ordinary. Boss calls you in. I have a job for you to do. But what we see is God is orchestrating this. God has a plan. God wants Isaac's wife to be from Abraham's family, not from the Hittite women that live in Canaan, but from Abraham's homeland. And so there's these two levels here, God's sovereign plan and the servant's just ordinary task, doing his job, what his boss told him to do. So the first thing we see how, how the providence impacts this is it infuses everything, even the mundane jobs that we have, the mundane duties with significance. God's providential activity infuses everything with significance. There is no such thing as a mundane, meaningless task. Mothers changing diapers, you doing your debits and credits at work, seeing another chart, completing another dictation, connecting two more wires studying for the next test, all of that falls in God is using everything you do for his plans and his purposes. It seems like mundane, boring, meaningless stuff. It's not. And so the Bible is opening back the curtains so that you will see this is no ordinary little job that the servant has to do for his boss. There's a massively important task going on here. So we continue in verse 5. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me back to this land. So you see what's going on. He says, okay, well, so if I'm going to this foreign land and I'm going to find a wife for Isaac, what What if? I mean, what if she doesn't want to come all the way back here? I mean, am I, what am I supposed to do then? The what ifs start popping up as he starts thinking about what he has to do. He says, must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Should I take him back to your homeland if she's unwilling to to come do I get him and take him there verse 6 Abraham said to him see you do not take my son back there because he knows God has told him clearly no your family is supposed to be in the promised land so go get a wife and bring her here. And he says, well, if I go there and she's unwilling to come here, can I take your son there? And he says, no, God's plan is for my son to be here. See, see that you do not take my son back there. Verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house there and from that land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. So here we see this is the counsel of God's will, if you will. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. The scriptures has revealed his will is that they all go to the promised land. And so God is working it out through Abraham's decision to be obedient to the word of God. No, we will live in this land because God has said this is the land we're supposed to live in. But naturally the servant has questions. Carrying it out. What do I do? What if this happens? I don't have the full picture. God hadn't laid it all out there for me. So what if I get there and this, that, and the other happens? Continuing verse 7, we see uh, Abraham's response. The Lord will send his angel before you. Very important phrase. The Lord will send his angel before you. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have all the details. You just need to trust God will be with you. God goes before you. He is going to work out his good plans and his purposes. And I love the reality, the the honesty of verse 8. Verse 7, Abraham is confident. The Lord will send his angels, and you're going to get a woman from there, and you're going to bring her back. But if the woman is not willing to follow you back, then you'll be free from this oath and mine, only you must not take my son back there. But God's going to do this. I know it. But if he doesn't, and you're free from that and and but I know one thing for sure the Bible has said very clearly God has spoken very clearly you're not to take my son over there I think I think he's going to do this but you're not to do this for sure and that's the way it is from our perspective as leaders of the church you will rarely hear me stand up here and say God has absolutely declared we're going to go and do this and and it's not in the scriptures it's more directional stuff I will usually say the elders have prayed. The church has prayed. The best of our ability, we've sought the Lord, and this is what we believe is the Lord's will, and we will t- together embark in this direction continually, waiting to see as the Lord leads us as we go forward. So from our perspective, from the servant's perspective, we don't have all the answers. But what is clear is what God reveals in his scriptures. And what God reveals in his scriptures is the Lord will send an angel before you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is sovereign, but he's also intimately involved in the details of every decision, every life circumstance that you're facing. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he swore to him concerning this matter. So what we see is the servant is learning to have a deep confidence in the providence of God that overcomes all the what-if questions. That's my prayer for us. It doesn't mean that we have all the questions answered. It just means that we know that a good, loving, gracious Father that is the all-powerful creator of the universe as we've been getting to know him in Genesis, he is intimately involved. He's going before you in everything that you do. And the confidence that we have in God's gracious providence Overcomes the what if questions, so the servant steps out in obedience, verse ten, and the servant took ten of his master 's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his masters and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Naor, and he made the camels and kneel down outside the city by the. The well of water at the time of evening. So he's got this place picked out, this well there the water is. Uh, the place in evening he knows because that's where all the women go to draw the water. I think this is where we get the uh, phrase honey hole. Y'all don't get that. Y'all, are not, y'all aren't with me. Y'all are just like, I'm not going to laugh because that's not appropriate. This is the honey hole. He knows where the women are going. They're all going to the well at a certain time, and he's going, all right, I'm going to strategically locate myself right here, and we're going to find us a woman for Isaac. But notice, God's providence does not render his actions meaningless. He doesn't sit back at the house and say, well, God's in control. He's going to take care of it. Lord, bring the woman here. No, he is active, he's using his faculties, he's using his brain, he's using godly wisdom, and he's discerning, how should I make plans to go about doing this? And so he says, well, all the women come to the waterhole, I'm going to station myself by the waterhole, and we're going to find a man, a woman for this man. And so what we need to understand is, in no way does God's providence make your actions meaningless. Meaningless. It does not. And I know you can't explain it. I can't explain it. And I know theologians, brilliant theologians, have spent generations and generations providing crystal clear, bow-tied answers. I don't buy any of, them, any of them fully. They're great. We can keep trying to figure it all out. But somehow, both are true. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. We still must do our planning. And our actions are not meaningless. They are very important. So we use our faculties and our gifts and our abilities Still, just like as if it were up to us, but knowing it's not up to us only. God is in it. Verse 12, we see another very important truth that God's providence addresses. He he says in verse 12, and he said, O Lord, so this is the servant kneeling at the well, stationed strategically by the watering hole. Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success. See the back and forth? He's making plans. He's being strategic. But, oh, God, grant success today. Show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. Be faithful to your promises. I'm acting. I'm doing the best I know, but I'm praying, God, and I know your character. I know your plans. I know your promises, and I'm praying according to your word. Be faithful to your promises to Abraham. Verse 13, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So here's, here's what I need you to do, God. I got no idea. I don't know these women. How in the world am I supposed to pick out a woman for Isaac when I don't know all these women are about to come up in here, Lord. So here's what I'm going to do. When I ask one of them, when I ask them for a drink of water, which, whichever one of all these women says, Sure, and let me water your camels too. She's the one. All right, God, you got it? Because this is how it's going to go down. When they ask, let me water your camels too. I got this sign that I figured it out. You're going to show me which one she is by that. And so that's what he's saying. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink. And I will also water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Let's be honest. Come on, get over your pride. How many people have prayed like this? Oh, you all liars. Repent of your sin. We've all done this. Lord, if it's this, it's that. Oh, Lord, if you'll just show me a sign, I'll know it's your will. If you want me to go here, if you want me to take this job, then do this. If you want me, to, and you know, the Lord is gracious sometimes and, and He does it. But you know what's happened to me in my life? That was younger in my life. I prayed like that. I, you know, walking with God was very mystical and sign driven. It was very confusing because if He did ever answer the sign, I totally didn't believe it. You know, I'm like, Lord, if this is your will, then, you know, if you'll just do this, and I'll do it. I know it's your will. And he did it. I'm like, but I don't know that that really was your sign. I mean, that could have just been something. I think that's what happens here is he said, you know, I'm going to ask her water. And if she offers, and so, yeah, so he offers water, and, and she's, uh, she, he asks for water. and She says, here, drink, and let me feed you camels. I guarantee you. He's like, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe that's just what they do here. Everybody's like, yeah, feed the camels. Yeah, it's just what they do. So it's never a good idea to to base your plans on signs. But what we do see is prayer is the connection between our responsibility and God's responsibility. He's stepping out in action, praying, God, make it successful. He's not saying, I got this. He's saying, I've got to do my part. But ultimately, success is in the hands of God. It's not just simply up to me. So as you carry out your, as you make your plans, as we make our plans, we, we are like James 4.13 says. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and do business. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. That's why you get this strange phrase that we throw in just about everything. Lord willing. Lord willing. What are they talking about? Lord willing. Lord willing. And we're going to build an expansion. Lord willing. If the Lord provides the money. Well, don't you know your banking? Yeah, we've done our banking. We've done our finances. We've got everything. We've been conservative, But still, Lord willing. Because I promise you, it's not totally up to us that God is the one who grants success or not. You know, I want this to happen. Lord willing. And so all of our actions are responsible, our responsibilities are necessary, but we take all those actions and responsibilities with a prayerful dependence upon the Lord, that he is the one who must grant success. So the servant prays that the the one, the chosen one, would offer to draw water for the camels too and that's exactly what we see happening verse 15 before he had even finished speaking that's just interesting the author again has given us insight into things that we wouldn't know otherwise as he's praying this complicated sign all right lord here's how it's going to happen before he's even finished thinking she walks up he's not even finished laying out the sign and rebecca shows up on the scene who was born to Bethuel, the sons of Milcah, the wife of Naor, Abraham's brother. So we, as readers, know she's of the family. She meets all the qualifications. She's from Abraham's family. This is it. And we were already told in chapter 22, this is Rebekah. Rebekah is the one. And here we're told, Rebekah walks up before he's even done praying. And so the author is very intent to make it clear it wasn't because he laid out some great sign and we're not to launch off going into this whole sign process of determining God's will he's saying look before he even finished that Rebecca shows up the Lord's going before her before him just as he prayed he would look at his reaction the servant's reaction is just it's just how we all react God truly has gone before him. Verse 20, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. And then verse 20 says, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord has prospered his journey or not. He's just stunned. First one? Seriously? I thought this was going to be an all-weekend affair trying to figure out which one. I hadn't even finished praying, and here comes Rebecca. And I ask for water, and she says, "Yeah, you want some? Want me to water your camels too?" And he's just like, "Are you kidding me?" And so, what does he do next? He does what every man would do. He gives her jewels when the camels had finished drinking. The man took a gold, gold weighing half shekels and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. Then he confirms very important detail. I have one last question. Who's your family? Please say Abraham. Please tell me. Verse 23. Whose daughter are you? Now remember, we're looking for Rebecca's. The Rebecca who is the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah. I mean, there may be other Rebekahs. We already know as readers, she's the one. And he's just hanging on her words. And what does she say? She said to him, verse 24, I'm the daughter of Bethel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to neighbor. I, no, she's the one. I mean, he's like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. This is insane. And he's like, have you ever been in that place where you prayed and you're like, Lord, please make this. And then then the Lord does something so powerful, so clear that you... Finally I feel like the, the curtains were ripped back, and you see God all over this situation, and it just brings you to tears. Uh, we hear this a lot in our stories in in community group as we share how God has worked in our lives. My group this week we 're throwing toilet paper all around the room because we 're all crying as someone shared how God provided exactly what was needed at the exact moment to the exact penny of what was needed, and it 's just praise god he 's real he's faithful he's good and it's just stunning and our response should be like verse 26 the man bowed his head and he worshiped the Lord he said bless be the Lord the God of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master as for me the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master kinsman the Lord is in this The Lord has been working all along. And he had to figure it out. It's not written on pages of scripture for him. When you walk through life, it's not that plain written for you. But that's why it's in scripture to teach you, though you can't see it, God is there. God is in every detail of your life. I don't ever want to hear you say, lucky coincidental, surely don't ever say karma. That is unbiblical. It's really hard to get that out of your language, but especially when you're like playing a Monopoly game and the scripture says that God even controls the dice. I don't understand. Does God really care whether I hit boardwalk or not? I don't know. But free parking? I've prayed many times. Let me hit free parking or I'm done. And I think the Lord's in it. So he bowed down and he worshiped. And that should be our response. As we discover God's providential care in everything, we learn to worship God. See, when we learn to acknowledge that God is in everything, then God is able to get glory in everything. When we think God's only in this moment or that moment, we're waiting for some big event to give God credit for. He says, no, I'm in every detail of your life. I get glory in every detail of your life. So we need to acknowledge God's providential working in all things so we can give God glory in all things. So that's what we can learn about God's providence and how it impacted the servant's life as we switch to Laban, which I totally slaughtered this in the first service. Laban is her brother, not her dad. I called her dad the whole time. I've been working on Jacob and how he comes to Laban and tries to marry their daughters. So this is Laban is Rebekah's brother. So just like anybody does, they find someone that they want to, someone wants to marry my daughters. First, they're going to go through the sister, Right? Well, Here we go, going through the brother, Laban. Rebekah takes the servant to her home to meet her brother, Laban, and the family, Abraham's extended family. And he tells Laban everything that happened, and the way that he tells it makes it clear God was in this. Can't you just picture him telling Laban, Laban, so nice to meet you. Let me tell you what just happened. Abraham your descendant had to have a a wife from the family and he tells me to come way over here from the land of Canaan and I'm at the well and I'm praying God how am I going to find her and I'm laying out this sign on how and I'm not even done praying and behold your sister walks to the well. I asked her, would you give me a drink of water? And she did exactly what I prayed. She said, well, let me, let me feed your camels too. And oh my gosh. And so I'm like, surely this is too crazy. This is too good. Is this really God? And so I said, tell me, who's your family? And you are his kin. This is crazy. God is in this. And so verse 48 He says, I bowed my head, and I worshiped the Lord, and I blessed the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. He paused, he took a breath, and then he said, Now, Laban, if you're going to show me, are you going to let her go or not? If you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Laban's like, he's got a decision to make. He's like, wait a minute. Okay, I don't know you, first of all. You come from a way away, and you're going to walk up in here, and you want to marry my sister? So verse 50, Laban brings Bethuel, I think this is the dad now, I've got myself pretty confused, but I think this is the brother and the dad, Laban and Bethuel, and now we got dad involved. Let me tell you something, when the sibling comes to get me and says, someone wants to marry my sister, we're going to have to see some miracles. This isn't even close to what I'm going to need to see. They said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. It doesn't matter. This is God's will. It's clear this is God's will. And this isn't how I planned it. I didn't plan for my child to marry someone who's going to take them all across the country. I was going to get the spouse a job in Shreveport. (laughs) So y'all can live right here. I'm going to have a boat to lake. Don't y'all want to live in Shreveport and raise your family here where you can be with us? I really pray that's the way it goes down. God is faithful. And they said, this is not how I planned it. But this is the Lord's will. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Again, the text confirms the Lord has spoken the Lord is in this. The Lord has gone before. The Lord has prepared the way. The Lord is making all this about. What's the bigger picture? The Lord is making sure that the seed of Abraham is not mixed with the, the Hittites so that the seed, the promised seed, is preserved. This is going to happen time after time after time. The Lord is preserving this seed. Ultimately, that seed is Jesus. So this is not luck. This is not karma. This is not coincidence. It was like, oh, how lucky me. She showed up right when I was praying. No. This is God working providentially and faithfully. This is what we need to understand. It is a tremendous blessing to be, to be able to entrust your children to the care of a providential God. When they reach that age where they're, it's scary and they've got to get beyond your care, oh, it's so comforting to know that there's, they're not beyond God's care. You can entrust them to the care of your good loving father. It's a tremendous blessing to be able to trust your children's lives to the providential care of God who loves them even more than you do. So they have uh, an engagement party of sorts without the groom or the groom-to-be. They have a party to celebrate, but then the next day, let me get the characters right, the brother and the mom. Yeah, now it's the brother and the mom. The next day, the brother and mom have second thoughts. They wake up from the party. Wait a minute. I don't know about this. That's good. We got all caught up in kind the of motions last night, but I'm not so sure about this. We might want to ask her. Let's ask Rebecca what she wants. And every woman in the room goes, yeah, that'd be nice. How about my thoughts if I want to marry this guy or not? So they called Rebecca, verse 58. They called Rebecca, and they said to her, Will you go with this man? Say no. She said, I will go. So here we see she has confidence in the Lord in this. Verse 59, so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah. Everyone is convinced this is God's will. And they're able to say, yeah, this is it. Go. Go in the Lord. You see how it impacts your life to know the Lord is sovereignly involved. He's providentially caring for you and your family. And there's no unseen circumstance. And finally, we see in Isaac, the last person we'll look at, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 62 now Isaac had returned. So you got Isaac who's been back home. The servant had gone on foreign land to find a wife. He's found the wife. She's coming back. They're coming back. It says, now Isaac had returned from Bar-Leroy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate. And you can just see the scene of the movie. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening as the sun is setting. And there's a pink and orange glow cast over the horizon. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold... There were camels coming, just like every modern movie. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, just like we all do. Dismounted from her camel. And she said to the servant, who is that man? That's what Dana said when she saw me. Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And then the servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Now, that sentence just saved you about an hour of reading. The servant told Isaac everything that he just wrote in this long narrative, and he told him everything. But what's the point? He said, dude, God's in this. God has brought you your wife. The Lord went before us. The Lord is faithful. He has brought you a wife. She's from your family. She's a virgin and all these things the text mentions that this is the one. And so he told her all, He told him all that, that had happened, all the things he had done. Verse 67, then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebecca and she became his wife and they lived happily ever after. He loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And so here we see this beautiful scene of a happy ending for those who trust in the providence of the Lord. They're comforted. It ends well. And that's the point for us. Don't resist it. There's hard parts to understand, and I don't fully understand it all, and there's harder parts than others. But in the end, the Word of God tells you pulls the curtains back and says, don't fight it, embrace it. We should embrace the providence of God, for in his providence, God is working all things for our good and his glory. And if you need evidence of it, look no further than the cross. The story of the Bible is God getting Jesus, the seed to be protected Scheming Jacob, we're going to see Joseph, we're going to see all these narratives. God protects the seed until finally Jesus arrives and he dies on the cross. And listen to Acts 2.22, which describes this interesting mixture of the evil men who were responsible for their deeds, carrying out God's sovereign plan that Jesus would be crucified on the cross for your sin and mine. Acts 2.22. This should convince you that God has a good purpose in all that happens. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, you know that man. Well, He was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held. And then he quotes a psalm. David says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad And my tongue rejoiced in the providence of God. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. He did not leave Jesus in the grave. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Father God help us to praise you for your presence providential care of all things. Lord, may we praise you with David in the Psalms, who prays that you have a plan for our lives, that you are with us, and in the cross we see the death, but you did not leave him in the grave. You rose him from the grave, and there is no greater evidence of your goodness toward us that you are not just a sovereign God, but you are a good, loving, sovereign God. So, Lord, we praise you for your faithfulness. And I pray, Lord, for those here this morning who need to trust your provision for sin, Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, that they will turn to Jesus this morning, right now, and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And that they will know that your plan is good and perfect. And you are working it out until you return. Lord, I pray that we will praise you. That we will embrace your providential care and involvement in our lives and in this world. And that it will be such a blessing to us. That we see you in all things so that you are glorified in all things. It's in Christ's name we pray.